Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, where we discuss meaningful business topics to add value to your efforts. Titus Bartolotta is a certified business coach that's often hired for one-on-one coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, here's your host, Titus Bartolotta. Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle. Uh, Man, you guys could be doing anything with your time right now, and the fact that you have tuned in to listen to us. You might be doing it live here in the Queen City through our partners at ESPN Charlotte. Maybe you're listening to this on iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, Spotify. Maybe it's not live. Maybe you someone shared this with you and you're listening to the podcast. We just want to say thank you no matter what day and time that you've decided to tune into our show. It means the world to us. If this is your first time tuning in, We bring in amazing local, regional, national, global leaders, entrepreneurs, founders, champions, winners, people that understand how to move the needle and advance the vision of life and business. Uh, And those are the kind of guests that we bring on. We start the show the same way every time, and we do that in prayer. So we, we ask that you'll join us, unless you're driving. And then keep both of your eyes wide open. Here we go. Lord, we give you glory and honor for all things. We ask that you would bless the show, the sponsors, the vendors, the, the, the guests, just everyone involved, and let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. All right. So uh, our guest today is, is actually a friend. You know, I would say when we first met, we were more professionally just colleagues, just kind of in the community working together. And since then, Man, for those of you that don't know this guy personally, he's just a fun person to go have a bite of lunch with, have a beverage with, just such a a great perspective on life. And I'm not going to read his bio. I actually have it because he's been on the show before. And and, and I asked him, I said, can you send me like two or three sentences? And he sent me like a seven-page bio because he's so darn accomplished. But He's the president of, uh, of the, Hunters, uh, the Novant Huntersville Medical Center uh, here in North Carolina. And, and, is, and I'm going to let him tell us a little bit more about who he is, but he's my friend more than he's anything else. Uh, a leader in this community, uh, a healthcare professional uh, at the highest level. My good friend, Mike Riley, is on the program. How are you, friend? Thanks for being here. Doing well. How are you doing, Titus? I am amazing. Tell everybody a little bit about you because it is, it is a, a 12 to 17 page bio. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. You, you're a very accomplished man, family man, professionally and personally. Tell us a little bit about you. Oh, oh how you exaggerate. <laughs> just, just a little, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, you said, I mean, you said you gave the highlights. I'm the president of the No One Health Huntersville Medical Center. I'm a uh, nurse by training. I've been in healthcare for, gosh, I'm getting old. Um, a long time for at least 20 years, probably longer than that, probably 23 years I've been in healthcare. Um, lots of, I've worked in Novant for the great, for actually I have been worked in Novant now for 20 years Wow. and probably have been in healthcare for 25 or 30. Ugh. Just age. <laughs> it's just, it's just depressing when you start talking about how oh, many years you've been working. Yeah, well, I don't know if the folks that are listening to this right now are, are watching or only listening, but, but the guy looks good for 93 years old. Mike's looking <laughs> looking sharp. No, um, But family guy, how many kids? Four. Four kids, uh, yep. which, is, which is basically means that you have a, a basketball team. You, I you do, know. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's one that's uh, 23 and finished with college. There's wow. um, two that are – seniors in high school and one that's a freshman and if you know with the uh um everything that's happened with the stay at home and the school being closed it's it's they they just 
I, I don't think they're really going to school. I think they're, they're supposed to go and they're supposed to do their their work on the computer. It doesn't take six hours or however long. I don't know what yeah. they're doing, but it's 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 an abbreviated school day. Let me tell you. Yeah, which means it's an extended school day for the parents. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, for those listeners, we actually have listeners across the country, Mike. So it's really crazy. This show uh, from East Coast to the West Coast, Midwest, all over. We have folks outside the country that listen to this show. So for those of you that don't know, Novant Health is really one of the, the premier uh, medical uh, hospitals and, and, and health care givers here in North Carolina. And, and not just in North Carolina. Are you guys outside of the state as well? I think you are, right? Yeah, yeah we're a 14 hospital system that ranges from um, Virginia to North Carolina to South Carolina and into West Virginia with, gosh, there's 30,000 team members, um, three, two or 3,000 physicians, um, just and, and lots of things besides hospitals, outpatient surgery centers, imaging, um, really all things healthcare related, um, robot health handles. Wow. Yeah. There's so much going on again for the folks that don't know. Mike, uh, how many people are you responsible for being the president of a hospital on a Tuesday is a busy job, let alone in the midst of a crisis. And we're actually recording this during the, the heat of COVID-19. I mean, this is, uh, this is April, 2020. We'll go down in history, but before you tell us about running the hospital and leading and effectively communicating, during a crisis, just tell us a little bit about just the responsibilities, uh, the normal responsibilities of, of being a president of a hospital system, and, and how many folks are you responsible for? Yeah, there are about 800 team members in, in my hospital. Um, and really, the day-to-day, the -day, it's interesting. I have a fantastic team. So um, my job is, in, in many ways, to get out of the way and let them do their thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think as, as the president of the hospital, the thing that I that's probably most important for me is that I set the culture. Um, I, I, I get things done, but really my team gets things done and I kind of coordinate that and just make sure that the, that the feel in the hospital is good and that people understand the why behind what they do. And, and in, in healthcare, the why is easy. Um, you know, we do things for patients and we do things to take care of people. I, you know, I tell people all the time, and, and this is certainly nothing against any other industry, but if you, if, I think if you put widgets together all day, you can be really great at it, but it's hard to have a good why behind that. But if you put taking care of patients, it's, it's easy. You know, every single day you can make a difference in somebody's life for good or for bad. So you have to always keep that at the top of mind. So, you know, my primary job is to really make sure that everybody understands that and they're motivated to do the right thing for, for our patients. Yeah. And I mean, that's not just the actual, medicines or surgical procedures you're something as we're learning now probably more than ever that, that just down to ordering enough gloves having the proper pile or, or stash pile or whatever you want to call it the inventory of gowns and and face masks and something like that is saving lives too and i think that before this crisis we may overlook small details and and you know, I'm listening to people use words now, Mike, like uh, pivot and uh, shift. And, and it, it seems like these major moves, but in reality, it's just the smallest, tiniest adjustment that will completely change what the telescope shows you millions of miles in space. And so the, the details, the small things matter, and your job is to make sure that 
I mean, all of those things are done as well. How, how challenging is that normally? And then tell us about how challenging it is during the heat of a crisis, just making sure we have the, the inventory to do our job. Right. And that's why, you know, the folks that, that there, there are, um, people, I think a lot of times think that, that the hospital is doctors and nurses, and there are so many more professions in healthcare beyond just doctors and nurses. And I think you're exactly right. I think the, the supply chain folks are getting a lot of attention right now um, for, for, for good or for bad. You know, I think at Novant, they're doing a fantastic job. They're, they're really able to pivot and, and find different suppliers and do different things. But, you know, something that um, you, you talk about how important all the roles are. Um, I, I, you may know this story, but um, when uh, John F. Kennedy went to NASA many, many years ago, he uh, passed by a custodian and he said, said, what's your job? And, and the custodian said, my job is to put somebody on the moon. And, and, you know, that's the same thing here. If you're, and I think, I think you, you, you bring a good point up. Um, the supply chain folks, you know, before this crisis, I knew, and I, I hope I made them feel important because what they do is, is important every day, but really having put a, a microscope on them through this whole COVID-19 thing has really shown the importance of jobs other than doctors and nurses. You know, you think about the folks who, who clean the hospital, you know, if they don't do a good job. People get infections and people get, and, and infections pass from one to, to another. So there are many, many, many jobs that are, that are just as important as the doctor and the nurse. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Mike Riley, president of the Huntersville Novant Medical Center here on Solutions from the Huddle. Mike, tell us a little bit about um, the transition. Have you noticed, have you felt the shift in people looking to you and you having to communicate um, in the heat of a crisis? Have you, have you noticed and felt a difference in your approach and delivery or maybe their perception and the receiving of it? Or has it been just businesses as usual for you? Uh, it, it has not been business as usual. Okay. Um, it's it's interesting, uh, you know. The hospital right now, and we're 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 um, on the 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 curve. You've probably heard about bending the curve and 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 that kind of thing. We're on the the front end of the curve. We think in the next week or two we'll start to get hit pretty hard. And so what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is really doing a lot of planning, a lot of preparing, um, and and. I've been doing a lot of rounding with team members um, and a lot of communicating because um, if you've if you've paid attention to the the CDC and a, and a lot of the other uh, folks that that know about COVID nineteen, the the recommendations have changed daily, really hourly, and so it's been crucial that we communicate as much as possible to to everyone because what I tell you right now you know, six hours from now, the CDC may come out with something different and, and I may be contradicting myself. Sure. So I have to continue to get that out. You know, things like when to mask, how to mask, who should mask. I mean, that's been pretty controversial in healthcare because the CDC has changed their guidance pretty regularly. So, you know, today I tell you, you don't need a mask. And then tomorrow you read something and says you do. And so we've really had to stay on top of that and communicate that as much as possible and use the CDC um, website and the CDC guidance to, to educate our team kind of constantly. And, and really a lot of it, if, if you were to, and another part of the communication, if all you were to do is watch the news, whatever your news outlet of choice is, 
I mean, you would think that we were in Armageddon and everybody, and this was Ebola and you were going to, you know, it was, and it's, and now don't misunderstand, it's a, it's a really bad outbreak. But if, if all the information you got was from the news, um, you'd come into work with a hazmat suit every day. Sure. So we really have to educate and let folks know what the realities are. Now, it's, again, very serious, but we need to make them aware of, of how to work safely um, while at the same time um, preserving our PPE, our personal protective equipment, and making sure that we don't go through that before we come to the to the uh, the head of the um, of this crisis. So, you know, just to wear a mask for no apparent reason because it makes you feel better is is a little different from um, from wearing it when we really need it. So, you know, conserving while still feeling safe is is very important, and, and making sure that everybody knows that. You know, my number one goal uh, is to make sure that the team members are safe and, and feel safe and are, you know, in fact, safe. Yeah. You know, Mike, I've talked with so many leaders and in doing this show, you know, because I think you listen to I mean, we have so many great executives that are responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars and, and thousands of employees and and really across all different kinds of industries. And one of the things that I have found it to be a common denominator. No matter how many years they've been doing it, no matter how successful they are, one of the common threads that they all fight and struggle with is the fear of communicating and perhaps things being fluid and changing and then having to walk something back. And it creates this, this paralyzing where leaders just don't communicate out of fear of being misquoted or misunderstood or something changes tomorrow. And it's not that I was wrong. I was just speaking to the moment in with the, with the, the knowledge and wisdom I had. And it creates this, again, I'm talking about Mike with all kinds of leaders. It creates this insecurity and it causes a leader to kind of maybe pause and, and, and not out of pure fear, but just overanalyzing maybe, maybe that plus fear. And then it causes them not to communicate, let alone to communicate effectively. Just, just be just that quiet leader that, that's not giving direction, that's not reassuring people. And I almost think that that strips them of the title of leader, in my opinion. Um, how do you navigate that? And maybe you are pervious to it. Maybe you never have the moments of fear and insecurity and all of that. But, but if you do have it, how do you navigate it through it? Uh, and then how do you mitigate it? How do you try to quiet that so that you can be that voice of wisdom and safety and security and, and whatever else a leader needs to do? Yeah, sure. I, I, a couple of things with that. I think um, there's, a, 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 you may have heard this, um, NC equals MSU, which means no communication equals make stuff up. So if, if you don't <laughs> communicate with people, they're going to make stuff up. Will you please give that one more time? That was brilliant. That was awesome. <laughs> it's NC equals MSU. No communication equals make stuff up, which means <laughs> if, if you don't talk to people, they're going to make stuff up that's a thousand times worse than what reality is. And yeah. so that's where your rumors start to happen and, and people hear, you know, this thing and that thing that that's not true. So, you know, once you have communicated something to the a point where you feel it's effective, communicated seven more times because mm. you know people adult learners need seven times before something really sticks so you have to continuously do that and i think 
Yeah, you're right. I think especially in the time we're in right now with with the COVID-19 and the changing and and how you know we're we're constantly looking at new recommendations and those kind of things. Um, you've got to communicate, and so and that way when you when you do communicate something that changes the next day, and you go back out to that same team member who says yesterday you told me this. Yeah. Are you making that up? And and I can say honestly, no, I was not making that up. This is what you know the recommendation was. But today we're learning. We've learned more things about the virus. We've we've learned more about how it spreads or or whatever. And so this is what the recommendation is today. So yeah, you gotta you absolutely have to communicate um, as much as humanly possible. I think that's prop. That's really uh, frequently the downfall of people who have a lot of good potential is that kind of what you're talking about there. They're afraid to put themselves out there for, for fear that something will change tomorrow. That, you know, healthcare, one of the things that if you talk to any anybody in healthcare, they'll tell you that the only constant in healthcare is change. And so knowing that and communicating just that concept to everyone so that the the, the entire team understands that things are gonna change, that that helps me and helps people in healthcare to get through things like this, but just day to day because you know, in in healthcare, you know, it's a science, and so there there are always new medications. We're always looking for better ways to do things, better processes, and so having that mindset that change is inevitable really helps to get through daily, you know, daily in healthcare, but also um, big times like these. How how important do you think building a relationship of trust is? Because you just brought up a great point. You know, you said that people will say, were you just making that up yesterday? And if you have a relationship of trust and consistent continuity, I mean, if, if all of those things are the elements that make up the perception of who you are to people, uh, does that help them maybe be more trusting and maybe extend more grace when your communication is not as effective? Or if something shifts that really was not even within your control, it just it just changed. It was fluid. You know, the CDC changed their mind or they changed their guidance. Um, and, and if that is important, how do you cultivate that with your team and, and not just your internal employees, but, but the external folks too, which are in your case, patients, not clients or not customers, but how do you, how do you do that? Cause I think in your position, you're communicating with not just your staff, but people are outside, you know, patients are looking to you as, the president of a healthcare system, you know, of a, of a hospital. Uh, is that important? And if so, how do you cultivate it both inside and outside? Yeah, I think one of the things that it, a benefit of me is I hate to be in my office for any extended period. Of time. <laughs> and so I walk around all I know time. that about you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk around all the time and I, and I talk to folks all the time. And when I talk to them, I, I like to, th there, there's a, uh, I, a couple of things that I, I try to do. I, one is troll for good is kind of a thing I say. And that means I'm always looking for something good that someone has done. Um, I, I talk to patients all the time and they'll tell me some great thing that a nurse or a tech or somebody did and I'll get that information to them. Or, um, you know, I'm always looking for a, a good score or a good anything that I can give people um, praise for. I, because you've heard the five to one, five goods to, to one kind mm -hmm. of opportunity. Yeah. I believe in 20 to one. So oh, that wow. when, when you talk to people and you have to tell them, uh, you know, Titus, I'm sorry, but you really, that sweater's just got to go. I, <laughs> he 
instead of instead of that being the first thing I say to you, I've told you I love your haircut, and yeah. I think you're really good at what you do. It's a nice hair. I have the same one. It's a very nice yeah. hair. <laughs> uh, but but you know, I we 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 have a relationship where yeah. you you believe that I have your best interest at heart, so I can give you feedback and tell you all these, you know, generally speaking, I'm here for you. So I've told you a lot of good things. So when I do have to tell you something that's not so great, you don't think it's an attack. And and I think that speaks also to why it's so important that I walk around a lot and talk to people a lot, because I, most of the time when I'm talking to team members, it's a, it's how are you kids, you know, how's your day going? How are things going? It's not, um, it's not necessarily you've got to change this process or you've got to, or this is what you've got to do today. And so that when I, when I'm, when I do have to give some bad news or a change or something different, it's, it, they know that it's coming from a decent place and it's not, you know, the only time I ever see them is when I have bad news. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that's huge. I think rounding a lot is important too, because I, I think people, you, you talk about people, leaders who are fearful of, of talking to people a whole lot or they stay in their office too much. I think the reason for that is because if you stay in your office too much and you don't interact with your team much, every time you do, they've got a list of bad stuff they want to tell you about. And so if, if, the only, if you're only out there once every so often, every time you go out there, it's going to be miserable for you because they're telling you all the bad things. Whereas if you're out there every day or most of the time or pretty often, you know, maybe they'll tell you one little thing that's not working or, or give you some opportunity or tell you about some opportunity. But generally, it's a pretty pleasant experience. And when they do have something to tell you, you, you heed that because, you know, they, that, that you, because you have that relationship and you understand that they're, they're not just throwing 100 things at you. Does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. Absolutely, it does. Um, I want to get on the other side of this quick break. I, I want to get to how do you do that with the patients or, or for a lot of our business owners, how do, you, how do you get that with clients when you don't get the opportunity to walk out the office and see them and build that relationship? Just real quick, we want to say thank you to our partners, uh, the folks that sponsor our show, CET Computer Magic, Rockbox in Riverwalk, uh, Speedy Oil Change in Pineville and Spartanburg, MS Digital Solutions, Mobile Smash Rooms, and of course, our good friends at Easy Living Technologies. These are some companies that are doing amazing things locally. Uh, they're supporting our show, and you can go to team-csg.com and click on their logo, learn more about their business. Uh, we're talking with Mike Riley, the president of the Huntersville uh, Novant Medical Center right here in North Carolina. And we're talking about leadership, effective leadership, effective communication uh, in a crisis. And we're doing this show right here in the heat of COVID-19. Uh, if you watch the news, Mike's agreeing here that uh, it sounds like the whole world's burning up. And you got to be really careful with what you say and how you say it. You got you to gotta speak from a position of strength hopefulness and facts would be nice uh, along the way. Those are really important things. And Mike, you're dealing with all kinds of things right now from uh, the PPE, right? You mentioned how to wear, when to wear, what to wear. Um, and, and we finished up talking about how you build relationships with your team. And I really loved that you said, if you, if you don't get out of the office, if you just go around once in a blue moon, they're going to have a laundry list of things to communicate and that may be fearful and intimidating to a leader. So get out of the office more. How do you build that relationship? How do you put yourself in a position to have the grace and the trust and the respect 
of the patient or the client or the customer. And again, not all of our listeners are in the medical field, right? So for them, it's the customer that they hope to gain buy-in from, or in your case, there's other places that they could get care. Uh, you know, how do you build a relationship so that your communication is effective and, and, and causes their buy-in to trust you and the care that you and your team give at Novant Health? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we can do marketing and we do, and we can, we can keep being on billboards and those kind of things. And those are, those are okay for brand recognition type stuff. But as far as really getting the support and, and trust of the community, you have to do a good job. I mean, you really have to do a good job. Um, I think we do a really great job here. I, you know, one of the, or a lot of, you know, again, I give my team all the credit. I take no credit for that. They, they take fantastic care of people. But one of the ways that I ensure that is I round on patients almost every day. I, I'll go into five or 10 or 20 rooms a day and just say, how are things going? Because, you know, I can, I can sit down here in my office and I can look at spreadsheets and I can see that the numbers are here and the satisfaction rates are here but um, I don't learn a whole lot about the nuts and bolts unless I go and talk to people. And so by talking to patients and seeing how their experience is, I can get real-time feedback on, you know, what's, what we're doing really well and what we can do better. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's always nice when I, when I go talk to them and it's, it's amazing. Um, I, I'm still, officially I'm still a nurse, but when I was a nurse nurse, you know, and I would say, how are you doing? It was no big deal. But now that I'm the president, I'm like, wow, what are you doing in here? And so it, it's, it, that's just one more way to kind of um, let the patients understand that they're really important to us. Yeah, you know, I would, um, and, and really this is, I, this is healthcare specific, I think, but um, anytime I'm having a bad day, I go talk to patients because no matter how bad my little hospital administration problems are, they're nothing compared. At least I'm not sitting in a hospital bed worrying about my health or some other or the health of my family. So it really does help to put things in perspective for, for, yeah. for that reason. No, I love that. That's brilliant. Um, you know, I, I would love to get, I know that my fear is we're going to air this and then information is going to be so fluid and so shifting, but I don't want to let that cause me to be scared or fearful of asking you outright COVID-19 questions. Um, Again, by the time this airs, it, everything that you're saying, Mike, could be completely different, um, you know, and, and the sun will, will set and rise again and things will change. But I'd love to get your perspective on things. We're in North Carolina. It's a completely different ecosystem here than that of New York um, in our country. Uh, for, for Had a great conversation with somebody from England earlier today and and, and they're, they're struggling. I mean, the whole world's struggling. It's, this is not an American thing. It's not a, it's a world thing, but in our country, New York is burning. Uh, they, they are clearly struggling. Uh, we're, I don't think we're struggling at that level. Um, and I don't know if this curve or apex is gonna be similar here as it is there, but what are some, some truths and some falsehoods maybe with the whole COVID-19 thing uh, from PPE to infection rate to the impact of the mortality stuff that we might expect to see here. And again, we're not going to hold you to anything. We appreciate that you're giving us your honest real world experience. And we know that something can change 10 minutes after this, this interview. Yeah. So, so right now, um, most of the, you can, what I would tell people to do is, is look at the uh, North Carolina DHHS website and that will show you 
exact at a moment's notice exactly the number of cases in North Carolina or in any state for that matter and, and in every county and I looked at it this morning and I'm going to I'm going to be a little off with the numbers but over 3,000 positive cases in North Carolina with oh and I want to pull up my computer but I'm not with I, I think somewhere in the 40 or 50 um, 40 or 50 deaths I think at this point Mecklenburg County which is the county we're in had a little over 700 cases and I think two or three deaths um, so, so right now we're fine. Um, you know, right now we have not been hit by the wave that New York is experiencing right now. And, and I, I've looked at a number of different models and, and I think there are epidemiologists all over the world that are trying to figure out how, how bad it's, it's going, it's going to be. And I've seen everything from, it's not going to be that bad all the way to, we're going to in North Carolina. We'll have between two and four thousand. We'll we will be two to four thousand beds short, which is a tremendous number. Um, so at Novant and at Atrium locally, we are doing a lot of things to prepare for that. We're 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 looking at how we could potentially upsize our hospitals. We're we're even looking at a field hospital at, in um, at, at UNC Charlotte that we could open up if necessary. Um, you know, it's interesting right now, our, the hospitals in North Carolina are, are not full. They're probably, they're, they're significantly under, underfilled right now because the only reason, because uh, nobody wants to go to the hospital right now because there's so much fear out there, which is good. And, and we've, we've canceled um, most of our elective procedures and a lot of the things that kind of keep people in, in the hospital. A lot of the Physicians' offices are seeing patients virtually. They're using the, the, kind of the Zoom kind of a mode or, or telephone. Um, still taking care of patients, but but still a lot of those things that are that are not absolutely necessary. We're not doing. Um, when you know when we the and I, I don't have and really I don't have a good answer for you as to um, how bad it is going to be because it's it, it's really looking at all of those projections. Um, the most recent thing I've seen is that we should hit the height of the wave sometime between a week and three weeks from now. So we are really getting ready and really making sure that we have everything we need to, to handle whatever comes. The, the social distancing and the, and the stay at home orders, um, we've looked at different, um, the, effect of this, the effectiveness of that in different models. And you can see where if it was absolutely ineffective, we would be up to 5,000 beds out of, you know, uh, over what we, or under what we, we need um, to as low as adequate, depending on how well that, that, um, that works. So what I would tell people all over the world that, you know, not just in, in North Carolina, but people all, all over the world, respect that, respect these stay at home orders because they are really the best way to keep this from, from spreading. I think over time we'll, we'll continue to see a spread um, but we, but if we live as we had always lived, we'd see a huge spike, which would really overwhelm hospitals. Can you speak to, and I, I don't think that it's fair until we have enough time after COVID-19 to, to, to compare it, right? We're, we're in the middle of it and there's so many unknowns, but can you speak to in any breath, uh, I don't remember in my lifetime experiencing and going through what we're going through when H1N1 hit, when Ebola hit, when SARS, and I don't know if maybe we just have more access to information. I don't know if the world talks to each other in a more broad global social way now, but 
and, and I, these numbers could be completely wrong. I, I read something and it, and it could be absolutely wrong, but that, that globally H1N1 took 60 plus million lives, you know, and, and, and was far more impactive on our country. But we're not out of the storm on this thing. This thing could, could be bigger than that, of course. But um, can you speak to just how you would compare this to, you've been doing this for 20 plus years, 25 years. So you've gone through a few other maybe not pandemics, but epidemics and, and certainly national crisis relative to infectious disease. Where do you compare this to the first several months versus the first several months of these, these cousins of, of this particular disease? Because yeah. it feels like this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. Um, but I don't, know the, I don't know the science. I don't know. So I'm asking you. Yeah. And, and for, for me, I, I don't, it feels worse than, and again, I, I, it's hard to compare at this stage because we're right in the middle of it. It feels worse than H1N1 did. And it feels worse than, you know, things like Ebola are, I think the tricky thing about this, things like Ebola is when you get Ebola, I mean, you're, it's awful. I mean, it's not that this isn't awful, but it's, you know, you're, you're bleeding. You're, I mean, you're really, really sick and it's, 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 it's horrible. This, with a lot of people, it's like it's like the flu, or it's like a cold, or you don't even know you have it, and and it's it's so much I guess sneakier than mm. a lot of your diseases because it can get spread so easily without without really under without really knowing it. You know you you know when somebody has the flu, you know you know they have the flu and you stay away from them. Yeah. Like this, eh? I mean, you could be really really sick, or you could look like you look. You know, mm. and and. And you could be spreading it and not knowing it. So I think that's where this is a lot trickier. And I think that's why there's been such an emphasis on the stay at home because it's it, it it's beyond common sense. Common sense, you don't cough on people, but you know every day you breathe on people and don't think about it. But it takes a while before you know you're sick or or you know you're you're carrying it. I think that that for me and not and I'm certainly not an epidemiolo- epidemiologist and can't explain. The transmission and 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 that in in H1N1 versus this versus various other things, but it, but this one you you just don't know when you're passing it on. Is that really what makes it so different? Um, I, because it seems and and I think that we can all agree and it, it, there couldn't I can't imagine there's a single listener that would disagree that one loss of human life is too much, right? So, but the death, the mortality of this, the lives that it takes seems to be very small in comparison to those that are impacted. Meaning the majority of folks, to your point, so many folks don't even know they have it uh, or, or it was very light symptoms or even the folks that were in the hospital, very few of them are dying uh, in comparison. But I think that what makes this thing so different is the whole, what you just said, the fact that at least with those other things we knew with this one, you could be completely perfectly healthy and have no idea that, Giving someone a handshake just gave them a terrible illness. Is that, is that what makes this thing so, uh, hard, so much more harder for us to get our hands and minds and hearts around, or is it truly more deadly and disaster? You know. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a little bit of both, and I think we're we're in this. And I, when, when you think about the economy and where things are going with the economy, uh, I think the decision makers who decided to. Um, to close things down or to, you know, the stay at home orders and all that. It's a, it's really a lose lose regardless of who, who, whether it's the, the mayor all the way up to the president, whoever, whoever made this decisions to, to 
close things down. It's a lose lose because when we're when we're finished with this, we're we're we're, we're gonna on one side we're gonna say, oh, only X people died. Was it worth what happened to the economy? Or we're gonna say, or had and and so we're gonna say, did we really need to do all this? Or um, we'll hear, oh my goodness, X people died. We should have shut stuff down two months earlier. And so, so and so if if we do well and we only have, and I, I I don't say that lightly, but we only have X number X people die, then uh, then I think the the um, hindsight on this is going to be there's going to be a lot of criticism no matter what happens, and that's where this is so. It, it's so difficult because, you know, I've, I've heard lots of people say, is it worth, you know, the economy, you know, going into depression or whatever ends up happening for just X deaths. And then I've heard people say one death is worth a depression. And so it, it's, you've got people who are on either side or on both sides of that. Sure. Um, we're coming towards the end of this interview. We're talking with Mike Riley, president of the Huntersville Novant Medical Center. Uh, we're thankful to all of our partners, Easy Living Technologies, CET Computer Magic, MS Digital Solutions, Mobile Smasher and Speedy Oil Change in Pineville and Spartanburg, and of course our good friends, Rockbox Riverwalk in South Carolina. Um, Mike, uh, let me finish with this. Let me, and thank you so much for giving us all your time. So many folks are probably thinking, um, we can't be in offices, we can't be at work, we can't be in our retail store, but then you see the amount of folks that are at Walmart and Target and grocery stores and gas stations, and it seems as though there's still some segments um, that are still regularly populated, and, and we're, we're asking people to practice social distancing. Um, the argument they could practice that social distancing and not have shut everything down. Um, so what are, what are the words of, of advice you give to the folks that are going to the grocery store and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, or we, we heard, I remember when it said a hundred or less, and then it said 50 or less, and then it said 10 or less, um, don't be around more than nine other people. And you go to the grocery store and, uh, I mean, I, I, it seems as though it's more crowded today than it's ever than I, Thanksgiving day. And since COVID-19, those are the most crowded grocery stores. How do, what advice do you have for us that are going out there and we're in, in what seems to be 10 times more populated ecosystems, even though we're all supposed to stay away from each other? Yeah, I, I, think, I think everybody has to be responsible. The community has to be responsible. And I think, you know, we think about it, if, if we think I'm young or it's not going to affect me or, you know, I'm not in that high risk group. And so... It, what difference does it make? And I think the the thing is the way this spreads. Maybe maybe you won't get that sick, but your neighbor might, or your grandmother might, or your mother might, or your cousin might, or there there are lots of people who who are going to get really really sick for this. So I would say, stay home and you know don't go out unless you absolutely have to. And if you do, certainly practice social distancing, and certainly wash your hands as much as possible. That's really the 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 way this thing gets that gets. Um, communicated to one another is by not washing your hands and by being in close proximity with other people. So I would say stay home. Last question. Mm -hmm. Testing. Uh, are the people in our community uh, here? This is a hot topic. So many folks you see nationally. I don't. I don't know that I've heard it quite so much locally, but people say I, I can't get a test. I, I can't be tested. I actually 
personally know of one person that contracted it in our community. Uh, they did go in for a test. It did take eight to 10 days. I'm not quite sure which hospital, which medical system they went through, but um, it took, uh, and, and it was it was three weeks ago, which is I think different today. I think the test might be quicker and faster today. Uh, remember what we said, 10 minutes after this interview, they're gonna have a, a test that is done in two seconds, I guess. But um, at that time, it was an eight to 10 day wait for the results. What What can you tell people and again, we understand it's the first week in April 20, 2020. What can you tell our community here in North Carolina or specifically Mecklenburg County, Huntersville? Um, you know, we understand we shouldn't be going in for just any little reason. We ought to be checking to make sure we have those symptoms. But how available are testing uh, capabilities and what's the kind of wait time if somebody had the symptoms and they, they, it was, they should go get checked and, and they got tested in one of your facilities, what would be that turnaround? Yeah, so we're, we have um, screening centers throughout the community where we have people go, we ask people not to go to the, if you're sick, 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 please come to the hospital. But if you're not hospital sick, um, we want you to see your primary care doctor and your primary care doctor will essentially screen your symptoms to determine whether or not you need to be tested. Um, if you look like you or me and you won't go down to the screening center or your primary care doctor, we're not going to test you because part of the reason for that is we're there we're getting inundated with tests and we want to test people who really need it who who look sick um so so you'll be so if you go and you do have symptoms you'll be screened they'll ask you where you've been um they'll get your temperature they'll they'll look at your cough they'll, they'll look at your symptoms and then determine um whether or not you need to be tested or not um you're right the testing two weeks ago was taking you know, between four and 10 days, depending on the, the severity. And we triage those tests too, so that um, healthcare workers and, and patients who are in the hospital, we move those tests to the top of the list. So if you had an outpatient test and your doctor said, you're, you're, you, you have flu-like symptoms, but you're not sick enough to be in the hospital, go quarantine yourself at home, that test would be delayed. And it, it was not unusual for it to take seven to 10 days to get those tests back. Um, today, We've got testing now that um, we're triaging that that's same day tests that we're able to get back. And again, the the number of those tests are are limited, um, but but we're still prioritizing those for um, healthcare workers and patients that are in the hospital. But those tests are coming back much quicker, and because they're coming back quicker, that decreases the load on the test on the tests that take a little bit longer. But now. Um, there, we have a much improved um, testing system. Awesome. Awesome. I love it, Mike. Thanks so much. Um, we had Mike Riley, president of the Huntersville Novant Medical Center, but a, a husband, a father of four, a great community leader, and someone that I'm proud to call a friend. Mike, have the best day ever. Thanks for being on the show. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here, your host for Solutions from the Huddle. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in today. And if you want to stay involved and engaged in the show, be sure to check out all major podcast channels by searching for Solutions from the Huddle. Thanks again for your support. We hope you come back.